Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Real Estate Matters for over nine years, the voice of real estate in Flagler County in Palm Coast, Florida. I'm Toby Tobin. I'm a Florida licensed commercial realtor with Grand Living Commercial Realty. This show is brought to you every week by the Flagler County Home Builders Association, by American Village. That's a 55-plus gated community in which I reside. And Klein Construction, a site development commercial marine construction. We've got uh, Walker Douglas back from Maine. Toby. Hey, Walker. Hey. And a special guest of Dave Lewis, who's a mortgage originator with CMG Home Loans, and he covers Flagler and Volusia County. I've known Dave many, many years, and he's been on the show, but not recently. Hi, Dave. Hey, Toby. Good to be with you. Good to have you back. Before we get into your topic of your favorite subject of mortgages, uh, I'll just briefly go through the uh, July results, sales results in Flagler County. And these are still preliminary. We're we're recording on the 3rd of August, which is a Thursday, but there'll still be some sales, July sales that'll trickle in over the next week or so. But as of noon today, 235 homes, single-family homes, were sold through Flagler, the Flagler MLS system. And that's down from 258 July last year. But that's kind of been the way we've been running the last several months. We're a little little bit off in sales count from 12 months prior. We'll be talking about uh, mortgage rates have something to do with that, so we'll cover that in the next section of the show. The median price for July was up a little bit from recent months to 375, but still 20,000 below last year's peak price of 395,000. Of nine homes that were sold, or of nine homes that were sold for over a million dollars during the month, eight of them were for cash. Wow. Continuing the trend. Yeah, yeah. And uh, the least expensive home sold for $180,500, and it was listed as a handyman special. The next least most expensive home sold for $220,000. Curious to know, did either of those were either of those financed? Uh, I didn't look. I'd be willing to guess they were, because it's generally the case. Mm-hmm. Isn't it odd that the, the the least expensive homes need debt, and the most well, expensive homes it, tend to it, be eight it, out of nine or cash? Depends, right? Depends on who the buyer, because sometimes those least expensive homes are uh, flippers sure. that will buy them, and they typically will pay cash or it'll be reported as cash because they might use hard money. 835 homes are for sale. So for about three months in a row now, we're up over the 800 number, which is kind of approaching normal range. In a normal market, we can see 800 to 1,150 homes on the market for sale locally here. The 357 homes under contract. So the ratio between listed homes and homes that are under contract is starting to look kind of normal. But there's still uh, signs that there's a lot of buyer pressure and that demand exceeds supply because prices are holding. In fact, they're actually sneaking up a little this month. But um, the days on market is continuing to stay low. It's in the 30s. It was still competitive. You still got to get an offer in. 
Thirties. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's so much better. I mean, better if you're a first time home buyer, somebody trying to squeeze into the market. Got down to ten and twelve days there for a little yeah, bit. Yeah, got in single digits a couple yeah. of months. But uh, the mortgage rate is one of the big factors in the market. I mean, there are several factors. Mortgage rates one. Uh, the fact that there's a relatively low inventory of homes available for sale given the demand. Uh, there are supply shortages that are affecting home builders and, and remodelers. And part of that supply problem is due to interest rates. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, if, yeah. if people are sitting on a 3% interest rate, you know, they're hesitant about selling their house and going to a significantly higher interest rate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, that's for sure. Uh, in fact, I, let me, uh, somewhere I have, here it is. I just did a little figuring this morning. A $300,000 mortgage payment rises from $1,347 a month at 3.5% to $1,996 a month at 7%. That's a 48% 48 increase in your mortgage payment. Then to put it another way, if you keep that $1,347 that at 3.5%, Covers a three hundred thousand dollar mortgage at seven percent. It only covers a two hundred and two thousand five hundred dollar mortgage. Wow! So the time it, the time was right, and uh, now it's not so much anymore. Yeah, but, to make a margin at least. Well, remember I said on the show before when I moved here in two thousand, I got a seven percent mortgage, and I thought I'd died and gone to heaven because um, ten years before that. I had a 13% mortgage that was adjustable that got all the way up to 17%. Yikes. And that's true. And it wasn't a small mortgage either. Were adjustable rate was AR, adjustable rate mortgages, did the... Did the chickens come home to roost finally in 2008, or were there was were people skeptical of them prior to the great financial crisis? You know, not necessarily. You know, adjustable rate mortgages are a really good product. You know, I think if somebody took out an adjustable 20 years ago, they would have been head of the game today. Uh, what happened in the 2008 crisis is, you know, folks are going out and getting these negative amortizations. Uh, with different payment option programs and they weren't really qualified for the loans. So then when the market collapsed in 2008, everybody just turned the the houses over to the banks. I remember during, and and of course it takes a while for things to work their way through the foreclosure process, but in 2009, 10, and 11, three years in a row, more than 50% of the homes sold in Flagler County were distressed. Yeah. So they're, they're either short sales or foreclosure sales. Yeah, it took years for that to, to clear out. Yeah, I don't even measure it anymore. It's yeah, such a small number, yeah, it's not worth much watching. Anymore. And people ask me, are we going to have another uh, flood of foreclosed homes? And I don't believe we are for, for a lot of reasons. There's, there's a heck of a lot of equity in the market right now uh, because more people have uh, put cash, bigger cash down payments and the lending standards. I'll I'll ask you, David, to come and hear it from from your mouth, the difference between the underwriting standards of 2004 or 2005 compared to to today. How would you 
characterize that difference? Well, 20 years ago, the mortgage industry didn't do a very good job of regulating themselves. And uh, there were the underwriting standards were very loose back then. You know, the folks that got the good interest rates, your conventional loans, they, you know, they were qualified to some degree. Uh, we documented their income and their assets and that type of thing. But there was an awful lot of programs out there that there were stated income, stated asset, didn't verify anything. And your credit scores even yeah, didn't we'll have just, to be that high. Let me just clarify for the listeners. Stated income, stated asset. That means there's a blank on the application form where it says, how much money do you make? And you put a number in. Exactly. And no one checks it. And they said, how, you know, how many how many dollars do you have in other assets? And you put a number in. Nobody would verify it. No, you had, uh, you had, there were stories of uh, Starbucks baristas buying million and two million dollar homes. <laughs> That's not far away given the rate of inflation. Um, so, David, the mortgage industry gets demonized as this specter who brought about the great financial crisis. But how much of how much of the loans that were getting written during that time were sort of um, incentivized by laws that had been written in the previous I don't know, decade or so, Community Reinvestment Act and the like? Well, exactly. You know, previous administrations, you know, they, they really pushed home ownership and, you know, they, you know, politicians, you know, felt that everybody should own a home, whether they should or they shouldn't. And as a result, you know, we were we were given these options. So, yeah, the mortgage industry didn't do a good job of regulating themselves, but there was nobody looking over our shoulders to to correct it. Right. And then after the after the crash and the 2011 regulations came out, the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, all of a sudden the underwriting standards got much more strict. And, you know, it's it's you know, you document your documentation. Do you think the pendulum would are you referring to maybe Dodd Frank? Do you think that pendulum swung maybe too far and made it too difficult to get a mortgage in those early years after the recession? In the early years, yes, absolutely. You know, they have eased over the um, over the years, but, you know, it's still, you know, it's all risk based underwriting. You got to look at, you know, what the credit scores are, what your debt to income ratios are your down payment amount, where the money's coming from. And so it's a, it's eased, it's, it's eased a little bit, but it's, it's still restrictive. Okay. Yeah. So what, what are the uh, major types of products? I mean, you, you've got FHA and you know, the, the various classifications of loans and uh, varying on who, who's making the guarantee or not. Uh, Give us a rundown of the like the top three or four. Well, your, your primary products are are your conventional loans, mm-hmm. which are you know, securitized and sold under Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac guidelines. And then you have your government loans, which are FHA, VA, USDA loans, which are either insured or guaranteed by by the federal government. So. But uh, if if this is your first time buyer going in, you know, the, I mean, you can you can go online get a mortgage calculator. Yep. That's where I got these numbers from this morning. Uh, but a lot of a lot of people don't understand points. What are points and and right. who pays them and and why and uh, other closing related costs. 
I, I could use some help with points. <laughs> well, points are are just a it's a percentage of the loan amount. So one percent is one percent of whatever so your loan it, amount. It's, it's just and a fee to. to you're actually, to what you're doing is you're buying down your interest rate when you're paying a point. Mm-hmm. So at zero points, you may be at seven and a half percent. You pay one point, may reduce your interest rate down to seven and a quarter percent. Okay. It's not going to be a huge difference. If you pay one point, you're not going to reduce your rate by 1%. And what's the difference between paying a point versus paying more for giving a bigger down payment on the house or the property? Well, there's really no correlation to that. It's, you know, the point is just something that you negotiate with your lender. You know, it's your, it's your option whether you want to pay points or not. Mm-hmm. Now, who pays them? is It's typically the borrower. But you can always negotiate with the sellers you know, for the, for the, it, to see if they'll make content, concessions on the contract to pay some of the closing costs of the points. Mm-hmm. Well, let's get back to this uh, as soon as we take, right after we take this break. Don't go away, folks. Okay. And Flagler County went straight to the front row when it came to the need and commitment. Free for All Friday, where local newsmakers talk it out. I mean, we don't swing from chandeliers or anything like that. That half-cent sales tax that we have collected over time has been used in great regards towards our school district. Hi, I'm David Ayers. Join me and Brian McMillan every Friday morning following the news at 9 on WNCF and worldwide on the Flagler Radio mobile app. Everybody, thanks for staying with us through this short break. Uh, we got a really interesting show today uh, talking about mortgages. We have Dave Lewis, who's a mortgage originator with CMG Home Loans. He covers both Flagler and Volusia County. And we're talking, the, the mortgage market is one of the, the biggest players in what defines our market where we are today. That's not always so, but it certainly is right now. Uh, the, the mortgage rate is essentially doubled in the last year and it has a profound effect on how much money you can borrow uh, give because unless of course your income also doubles <laughs> good luck with that yeah so we're, we're talking about uh, just before the break the different types of mortgages and and what's involved there are things more than uh, just the interest rate and the down payment were, and points. And Dave, you were explaining how points are just a way of buying down your interest rate. Right. And and how would you decide whether to, to pay a couple of points? Well, you've really got to decide how long you're going to be in the house or have that mortgage because you have to do the, do the math. You know, how much is it going to cost you to to pay the points, what are the points, the dollar amount versus how much it's going to lower your payment and what they're, you know, how long it's going to take to recover those, that cost of paying the points. That's why we hire somebody like Dave. We'll we'll run the numbers and make a decision. I've lived in 18, I think, different addresses. Uh, Or some of them were in college, so they probably don't count. But but, um, I've, I've never stayed any place 30 years. I've never had, I don't think I've held a mortgage more than seven years because 
whether you live there seven years or not, you're probably going to refinance right. at some point. Do, do you happen to know, Dave, what the average holding period is for a mortgage? You know, the numbers, or what you, would yeah, your guess be? you know, probably five to seven years. Mm-hmm. Somewhere in that room. But you had also talked about down payment requirements, you know, like for first time home buyers. You know, in conventional loans, you can pay as little as 3% down. And then you can move over to an FHA loan, perhaps for 3.5%. And you just, we, you know, that's why you talk to the loan officer to find out what program is better for you with regard to qualification. Do you ever think about there being um, one of the readings of the great financial crisis was a moral hazard created by Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation and and, and federally backed loans? Um, so a three percent mortgage, you're saying, you know, this is usually a first time home buyer or a veteran, but is it usually the case that the government's guaranteeing that loan? Is that why that's such a uh, inexpensive mortgage well, or a low rate <laughs> or low deposit rather? Down well. Payment? With FHA, you pay a mortgage insurance premium on that, and it's a monthly amount, and it's an insurance to insure the lender for a certain percentage of the loan amount in the event of default. Right. Whereas on conventional side, it's insured by private mortgage insurance companies. Okay, you know, when, when you have mortgage insurance, and I've, I've had that in the past, and I actually did a little homework to find out what that really covered, and it doesn't cover a whole lot, and it's expensive, and and it, it's it's not it's not protecting you; it protects the the lender. Correct. Because um, you know, and, and I I discovered this during the last crash that if if uh, I mean I had people call me and say you know my bank is hounding me for money, and I I paid for mortgage insurance, so they should be paying my monthly mortgage. There's they have no concept of what mortgage insurance really is. And then then they found out sometimes that if, if they went through foreclosure, that um, the bank could come, could go to collect on the mortgage insurance, but then that doesn't mitigate the obligation of the owner. They could actually double dip. They could collect the mortgage insurance and still come back on the homeowner. You know, that might be a little bit out of my pay grade, but, you know, I, I there, there were certain cases where the banks could go back at, for deficiency judgments. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. They just have more attorneys than anybody else. The banks do. They've got more money That's to that pay boils down the attorneys. To. Yeah. <laughs> They've got your money to pay the attorneys, actually. <laughs> you know, the uh, a sale goes through a cycle. You start looking around and, you know, like days on market, that's a an indicator of, of demand versus supply, but it's also a behavior modification device. If, if, if you don't, if days on market are running in the 30s, you, you better make up your mind in a hurry about what you're going to buy. But anyway, you, you, you look around, you buy, then uh, so now it's under contract. Now you've got to f- find your money, um, make sure you've got insurance, all the things that you have to do between contract time and closing. Uh, and a lot of those have to do with getting a mortgage, you know, because very likely your contract is contingent upon getting financing and you've got limited time to do that. Uh, Dave, does it, does it make sense to pre-qualify and, and what does that mean? I think there are different types of pre-qualification. Yeah, absolutely. I, I wouldn't wait until 
you're ready to actually go out house, house hunting. I, w- I would, I would actually, you know, consider encourage buyers to, you know, come to a loan officer three months before they're ready to go out and start looking. And you could do a pre-qualification or pre-approval. And the advantages of doing that is when you are ready to go, you know, when a real estate agent submits a contract, they're going to want to see a pre-approval letter. And if you go well, if you pre-approve well in advance, the loan officer could, you know, if there's any, any speed bumps or hurdles that have to be overcome, we could take care of it then. You know, in some cases we could also counsel them in ways of increasing their credit score in that period of time because credit's everything. And, um, that pre-approval process is that's pretty painless. Just a little bit of paperwork, and well, you know, there's two ways you can do a pre-qualification, which is there's not a lot of meat to that bone. Um, we we um, with a pre-approval, I'll take an application, I'll run your credit, and then everything's done through automated underwriting systems, and I'll run it through the automated underwriting system, and it tells you you're eligible for approval if you document everything you told me on the application. And uh, so, whereas a pre-qualification, you know, you're going to give me your W-2s, pay, um, pay stubs, bank statements. I'm going to be able to document the income, and I'll be actually be able to give a pre-approval. And that's really important, especially when it comes to self-employed borrowers, because an- analysis of tax returns is, is really important on self-employed borrowers. Well, I mean, I may be paying you a visit later this week. I'm looking at a couple townhomes. For the, Toby, I'm finally biting the bullet and looking at buying a place. So uh, I could, I, I could use, I could use a uh, a crash course on points and and, okay. and buy downs. Absolutely, we, we can take a look at it. Yeah. I'm sure Dave has a card he'll give you. <laughs> Actually, I don't think I do. <laughs> uh, why do most deals fall apart, Dave? Uh, you know, it's, um, you, you know, it's, it's because the, it's like building a house, you know, if your foundation isn't solid up front, then, you know, it doesn't take much for it to fall apart. So, you know, if it's predominantly, if you just can't verify the information that's given, it's not because it's false, but it's just, it's it's not that may not fit the guidelines you know they may say that they're they have income and bonuses and the bonuses aren't aren't within the guidelines or something like that but uh, um that's 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 you don't see a lot there's not a lot of fallout if somebody does their due diligence and does it up front so somebody who's in real estate who just gets paid off commissions like myself yep. Probably a lot more difficult to forecast their income in the fall in coming years than it would be somebody's on a salary. Well, we're going to look at commission based on whatever it was the last two years. Right. But you know, you talked. We talked about you know twenty years ago programs. Twenty years ago, there are actually programs out there for folks that are on commission, and we don't look at the tax returns. We just do an analysis and a calculation on commission. You know, we have self-employed borrowers where we, don't, where we don't use their tax returns. We just use deposits to their pay stubs. So are yeah. we Are we kind of like doing that all over again, maybe? <laughs> Uh-oh. Let's not well, look under that rug. Uh, well, you, have to, you have to understand, though, that the, a lot of self-employed people 
um, maximize their deductions to the hilt on their tax return. But to the extent that they're good at doing that, it hinders them in applying for credit. Exactly. And that's why they've developed these programs. It's not like we don't look at things. I mean, we're going to look at their ability to replay to some degree. We're going to look at the credit. We're going to verify their assets. But if they've got, you know, monthly deposits to their business bank accounts of $25,000 a month, and we do a calculation, use 50% of that, you know, now we've got $12,000 a month to qualify. So we don't even, then we don't have to look at the tax returns because we understand that, yeah, you're writing all the stuff off and it may not be a direct expense to you. And I assume that with self-employed folks, people that don't quite fit the box, the credit score is more important. It, It, or not necessarily. Not necessarily. Right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're they're pretty flexible with the credit scores on the, on on these products. What's what's the rule of thumb cutoff on credit score? Well, you know, FHA, you can actually go down to as low as five eighty, hmm. and I think there's some lenders out there that may go down to five fifty. I'm not really sure. But but are they going to pay eight nine percent or something? Or it's a, it, it's it's, it's going to affect the rate. You know, hmm. lower the score, the lower the rate or higher the rate. Excuse hmm. me. And it, you know it's a it's the same thing with conventional loans. Conventional typically, six twenty is your your minimum credit score, and the lower your credit score, the the higher your interest rates. That what that's why I would encourage folks to come to a lender. Let's take a look at it. Is there a way that we could rescore it? Do some things to restructure and get your score up a little bit. So if you're even thinking about remotely being in the business of buying a house. First thing you probably want to do is is get your debt settled and come to somebody like you and figure out what you can actually pay for and if you can what the rate's going to be. That'll be step number 1. That way you're not wasting the time of the real estate agent. When, right. You know, you're looking for a $500,000 house when you're only qualified for 300,000. So uh if if you're in the dating uh dating cycle too, it's kind of similar to that, right? <laughs> <laughs> what, what, what is your what is your online profile I'm compared not, to what you I'm, really I'm, like when you meet? Yeah, yeah. That's, that's exactly right. Yeah. 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 Everybody's so much cooler online. Right? <laughs> well, we got to wrap it up, folks. Uh, thanks for being with us today, Dave. Thank you for being here. Thanks, Toby. Uh, it's, Anytime. It's always good to have you. Your your wealth of information. I'm Toby Tobin, and I approve this show. <laughs>